Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.
back to the Heavy Metal Mayhem Radio Show. New York and New Jersey is represented tonight. We have Bobby Blitz Ellsworth from Overkill and David DeFeast from Virgin Steel. So stick around for those interviews. Lots of new music. Uh, there's so many new records coming out. I haven't had a chance to get to them all, but we will tonight. Or at least most of them anyway. Uh, but joining me now, my partner in crime, T. What's going on, buddy? Hey, Mikey. What's going on? Hey, hello, everybody. Not much. You know, we had a nice weekend here in New York. It started out a little rainy for our 4th of July, but you know what? It ended up pretty good, I have to say. Yeah, yeah. I'm not going to complain about this weekend. Nah, you know what it is? Somebody put a picture up on the internet before, like like a blizzard saying, you know, we're only like, you know, 30, like 300 days 30 away. 30 days or away, right? <laughs> I know. I said, oh, man, are you kidding me? I was like, yeah, I'm not going to complain about the humidity tomorrow. <laughs> Take it. God almighty, I'll tell you. I feel like we're halfway through the summer already. We really haven't had any, like, you know, real, like, real big heat. You know I mean? We had a couple of days where it was pretty humid, but yeah, it's yeah. like we're not even in the summer yet. Like, I don't know why. Cause we don't, I just don't feel like the summer to me. Yeah, but, I mean, it is July, you know, so if we can... I know. <laughs> well, we'll have, like, an August, uh, September, you know. Yeah, Ugh. that's true. Hey, I'll take oh. the warm weather. Look, I got five years to retire, so I just give me as many warm days as we can so I can get the hell out of here. South the weather's always warm. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's all I care about. I don't care about nothing else. <laughs> we got all right, the internet well, down in Florida, right? In, that's in right. The internet's everywhere. <laughs> that's all that matters to me. Hey, look, guys, so we got a great show today. Blitz from Overkill is with us again. David DeFeast is with us again. So we got those interviews to get to a little later. There was, there's like so many new records come out. I can't even keep track of them. I'm trying to get them like a couple of songs on each week. But we got so bot- last week we had uh, Gerard De Marini from Americade. I think the interview went 20 minutes. We spoke for almost an hour last week. We could have went yeah. for like I think another two hours. <laughs> I mean, you know, I know. It was so great hearing of, those stories. And a lot of people were like, "Oh, let's hear some more. So let's hear some more." <laughs> I know, I know. But we'll have them back on again. But I didn't get to a lot of the new music I wanted to play. But we know we'll get on a few. Maybe we'll do them now before uh, uh, Blitz calls in. We'll get some of those songs on now, and uh, we'll, we'll take it from there. Uh, I'll tell you what I have as far as new stuff goes. Let me know what you want to hear first. We got the whole new Priest album up and ready to go. We have uh, brand new Loudness. Uh, we have brand new Gravedigger. Uh, anything there? You know, wait your appetite a little bit. Well, we'll definitely hear Priest. If you're gonna play something odd that nobody's heard yet, you know what I mean? Yeah. And I must say, I am pleasantly surprised. I actually, I haven't done an A-B, an A-B um, comparison, but I yeah. believe that those first recordings are not what's on this album. Okay. There you go. The official uh, opinion. I'm hoping. You know, All what right. I, from what I can tell from what I started listening to. All right. Well, I'll tell you what. We'll play a song that hasn't been played yet on the radio or the internet yet. And how about we start out with some brand new Loudness, and okay. then we'll go to some of the Judas Priest. Loudness well, have a record coming out like every three weeks, I think. Uh, I mean, they constantly have new albums. Yeah, I know. It is every six months or so, right? <laughs> <laughs> They're following that old Kiss formula from the 70s, where it was like two albums a year back then, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, uh, but this album is actually pretty good. I mean, they've had good songs on some of the past, you know, the, the recent albums. As a whole, I wasn't crazy about all of them. Uh, but what I've played so far, this new record, they're all starting to sound pretty decent. A lot of old sound and loudness, man, like that classic metal riffing going on. So off the new loudness record, here's a song called The Metal Man. <laughs> Oh, 
right, there you go. Brand new Judas Priest, Halls of Valhalla. Now, T, this album's getting mixed with you from everybody, even us. I mean, some people love it, some people hate it, some people like half of it, some people like don't like the other half of it. I, I mean, it's Judas Priest, I mean, you know. <laughs> Who knows? Oh, yeah, well, like, from, from, from the preview clips that I heard, I thought they were, like, unproduced or, like, demo demo quality. But now that I'm hearing it, uh, you know, they did exactly what I thought they did, you know. Uh, yeah. They just put out those those as demos just to show people. And that's the good, that's the right thing to do. Because now you want to sell the product. Now you want it, go out and fucking buy it, you know. Like, that's I'm right. Gonna, I'm getting the disc. I'm getting the fucking gatefold vinyl. Hell Yeah. You know, because they, they're going to have extra tracks on it and everything. <clears throat> I know. I know. It's going to... And then but you, you know buy what? It, and you buy it through Amazon, and whatever you buy through Amazon, either either vinyl or digital, you get to download it for free to your cloud, your Amazon cloud, or whatever the fuck they call it now. And yeah. you always have it on any computer, on any cell phone, you know, any place you have internet access, you can just go to it and listen to your tracks. Absolutely. You know what? This might be the last Priest record we get. You know what I mean? It's taken them a long time to put albums out. These guys are in the mid-60s now. So this might be the last album they actually put out of original material. So go out and buy it. See them out on tour live. They're coming around. They're going to be... They got like three shows. I think almost four shows in our area. Uh, I, I think around October or November. I'm not sure the exact date, but they're playing in Brooklyn. They're playing in Atlantic City. I believe they have a show in Long Island. And I guess one like uh, towards upstate somewhere. So there's a lot of chances to see the band like in our in our area when they come around. So definitely, you know, get out there and go see them. Like I said, you never know when it's going to be the last time you see these guys live because they're all getting older. I saw the Richie Faulkner. <laughs> you know, the rest of the guys are, again, yeah, yeah, I'm I mean, Scott Travis is all right, Jimmy. But the rest of them are, you know, kind of getting up there and uh, you don't know if this is going to be the last time. So I was listening to a um, an interview with uh, Jim, Florent- Jim Florentine did with them. And... Um, he was born in 1980. <laughs> wow. Fuck. Young. So, like, you know. <laughs> now I really feel old. Tell you. <laughs> All right. You know what? Let's get on a tune by Frigid Bitch. We'll play some local metal. We'll get on a tune by Overkill, and then we should be ready for Bobby right after that. So, uh, sit back. Here you go. No glitch, no glory. <laughs>
I had to go with a little old school overkill over there. Overkill doing overkill. I think it was like nine different, uh, not versions of that song, but like uh, sequels to it. Every album had like an overkill one, two, three, four, down the right over. But the new record, White Devil Armory, is coming out. It's an amazing record. Let's get Blitz going and we'll, uh, we got David DeFeast coming up in the second half of the show. So sit back and relax for that one. Hi, hey, Bobby, Mike, this is Mike. What's going on? Hey, dude, how are you? I'm doing great, man. How's everything going today? Good, I snuck it in a few minutes early. Munzee has it set up like 20-minute intervals, and it's always not enough time, so I figured I'd give you a call a few minutes early. Hey, that's all right. I don't mind talking to you for a few minutes more. <laughs> Where are you? Out in the island? I'm just from Brooklyn originally, but from Staten Island. That's why I use the lady with the English accent when you're calling, so people think they're getting a highbrow show. Yeah, you feel, you feel it sounds very international. 
Yeah, right. but then when they hear me come from Brooklyn, it's the same thing. It's like another country. <laughs> hey, Good great. It's great talking to you. Like, you know, I go back with you guys from that, when I bought that first demo tape, you know, in Rock and Roll Heaven back in 83. And I'm glad you guys are still going at it and that you're still doing it. Uh, you know what I found funny is like the other day I was on Facebook, I think. You know, social media is like the, the devil of today's world, I think, you know, because everybody's a, a commentator. And somebody wrote down, if you were waiting for Overkill to fail with their third record, you're going to be disappointed because White Devil Armory is an amazing album. And then it dawned on me that some people today think that Overkill is like a revival act or a nostalgia act. They came back two albums ago and didn't have a career for the last 30 years. <laughs> You know, and when when people ask me or, or bring that up, I would say, "Where were you?" Yeah, <laughs> you're obviously not paying attention. So, exactly. But I mean, I mean, it's one of the things I'm probably the most proud of. It's not, you know, it's a band that has longevity and has been here regardless of, you know, what the flavor of the day was or what popularity was. And I think that, you know, it's it's probably our our biggest uh, claim to pride is that it didn't have to be easy; it just had to be done. You know. Yeah. That's so true. That's like, like I said, because people are dating you back to Ironbound, like that's the deal to end on. I'm like, you know, like a year or two before that, there was Immortalics, there was Relics, Killbox, and going back to, to the first record. I'm like, I, I don't get it, but I think because they feel like, you know, metal's like in a second wave right now, so they think a lot of bands are coming back and they forget what you did. The old school fans like me don't forget, but a lot of the newer kids, I don't think they realize there's a catalog before that. And it's a shame because I was like, hey, you're missing out on a lot of good music if that's all you're doing is going back two more records. But it's, uh, you know, it's, it, it's the, regardless of any of that, the scene is healthy because, you know, people will say, oh, what about the good old days? And I'll say, hey, man, there were great days. We had no rules. We didn't know what we were doing. And, you know, people like, you know, like yourself and people like me and people involved in it were making the rules up as we went along. But the new days are kind of cool, too, because there's, there's a great kind of a fervor and, uh, I don't know, excitement around not just this, but the scene itself. No, you're right. I mean, I, I would love to go back in a time machine to 85 and, and see you guys at Lamar again with the whole stage set up and the, and the costumes on and the makeup. That's great, but it, I, I can't take away everything that's coming between there. And I, I know, like, the 90s were a rough time, I think, for everybody in metal. And as a fan, I'm like, I'm glad that you guys kept putting out records that kept me going. But, like, as an artist, it, it must be, like, really, like, murky water. You're like, are we going to make it? You know, you didn't know if there was a light at the end of the tunnel, you know, when things started falling apart for the music. You know, I, I, I think it was a different approach because, you know, I remember having a conversation with Dee Dee about it. and says, who cares if it's over? We'll just do what we want anyway. And, you know, if you think of it that way, then there's a hell of a lot less pressure and you can actually just do what you want. I think the hardest thing was trying to secure deals at that time because it wasn't the flavor of the day. It wasn't popular. The major labels had turned their back on this and started facing, you know, started facing west towards Seattle and the grunge scene and abandoning, you know, uh, let's say those megaforce uh, uh, upstarts that happened uh, half a dozen years before. But I, but I think that if we, once we secured those deals, there was plenty of places for us to go, plenty of time to write good music, plenty of touring to do. So it was just a matter of getting that deal. And then I think the 90s, you know, when I put it in perspective, I said the deal was the hardest thing. It wasn't that the popularity was less. It was still the people out there wanted to hear this stuff. That's right. I think I read somewhere years ago where you were saying, like, I guess it was when, when uh, Bob and you guys parted ways, that, like, I think Megaforce wanted you guys to actually audition for your own label at, at one point. I guess that must have been around the horoscope record. It was. We actually uh, we went from 
uh, one guitar player and Bob to two with Rob Canavino and Merrick Gant for, for Horoscope. And they were a little bit unsure. And, I, you know, I guess they, they kind of had a right to be. I mean, we were four records in. We were still, I mean, to some degree by, you know, if you compare the whole legacy of the whole time that we've been doing this to four records, we were still a baby band at the time. And I think they were just a little concerned. And then when we presented them with the horoscope material, they said, well, right, this wasn't really necessary. And I was. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's true. You know, I, I think a lot of young bands today, or, you know, people coming up through the scene for the first time and getting involved in the business, I don't think they realize how much power and control and say, you know, the record labels had over basically every part of your career back then, where today, you know, I mean, I know you guys manage yourself, but... It's a, it's, it's a different beast today. The industry is completely different, but, you know, you have more control and more power. But back then, you know, you really had to, you know, kind of kowtow to the record labels. Uh, you know, you did, but you didn't. I mean, because you were beholden to them with regard to your exposure, because, you know, there was no Internet. There was no instantaneous information, so you couldn't really do it yourselves. So you were beholden to them to get you to the right magazines, to get you the right amount of tour support to get to Europe or to get to Asia or to get out to California or, or Mexico. So you were beholden to them for that. But they never really, you know, they never really were uh, mega force or even Atlantic for that matter, never stuck their nose in our business and said, hey, you know, can you lighten up on the profanity? Oh, hey, can you write something about this? Hey, you know, this is what Metallica's doing. It was never that. They just let us kind of do what we wanted. We were beholding to them more with regard to, you know, they were they were our vehicle to other places, you know, and they could pull that plug, you know, uh, uh, you know, once the contract was over. But, I mean, I think for us it's kind of worked out. I mean, we've, you know, there, there's, a, there's a great work ethic in, in, in uh, you know, this area of the world, and I think if you brought up here and, you know, you, not that other places are, are, are bad work ethics, but there's a great one. In, in the tri-state area. And I think if you can incorporate that into anything you do, you can be successful. You know, I mean, if you're paying attention, you can, you can succeed. And I think it's probably the, uh, you know, the bottom line for Overkill with regard to longevity is, uh, is that work ethic and, and uh, that help from the record companies back in the early day. No, you're right. I mean, you're, you're right. We do have a great reflect. You know, we're working class, you know, blue-collar people here. We come from those type of families, and it applies no matter what we've done in life. We're not like those lazy French people where they don't give a shit about nothing. We're different over here, so. <laughs> oh, my God, you're saying it right on the Internet. <laughs> oh, I don't care. I'll say anything. I have something to say, I say. That's the problem with today. Is that, you know, everybody wants to be these keyboard warriors that where they hide behind things. Just come out and say it. I mean, you know, be a man. And that's what I've always admired about all because you guys were never afraid to speak the truth. And you said what was on your mind, whether people liked it or not. And I think that's one of the reasons I think a lot of other musicians, as well as fans, respect you guys. Isn't it funny how as time has passed, there's more balls in the world? But yeah. every pair of them are every pair of them are smaller. <laughs> <laughs> that's that, that's the truth, man. Mine gets smaller because of my wife. Other than that, you know, I try to keep them as big as I can. <laughs> but that does happen. You know, Bobby. I mean, the band has such a, a steady lineup now for like ten or fifteen years between most of the members, and, and it shows like on every album that how everybody's congealed together. But when you go back to the early days, you know, Rat Parts Ways and Bobby and other members come and go, you and D.D. have been the cornerstone of the band, you know, since back then. So when new members come and go, and naturally it's always going to have a little bit of a change in the sound and style of the group. It's, I, I think that's unavoidable. But you guys kind of keep it, you know, overkill what overkill should be. 
But is it hard to open up to new members when they come and saying, you know, hey, let's get these guys involved in the writing process? Or is it sort of like a Steel Dragon thing where, like, you know, you know me and D.D. write the songs because we've got to keep this ship going, you know, in that direction? Well, you know, I, I think each member brings something different. I, I think that, you know, the, the first... You know, the first meeting or the first introduction to each other is to kind of feel each other out and see what the other guy has. I mean, you know, Ron Lipnicki, for instance, wants to be an overkill, so we know that he, you know, we know that that's happening, and we have to see what he has. So we don't, you know, once we realize what Ron's capacity is, his capabilities, I mean, the beauty of a wild horse is to not break the wild horse, you know? So Ron's got to be able to write. Ron gave us a hop. You know, somewhere where we needed a, a, you know, a charge of energy, he brought that in. So it's not about that whole steel cage, steel dragon thing where, you, you know, it's just Dee Dee and I. It's got to be a band. If it's not a band, it doesn't, it doesn't function like a band. And Dave Linsk has been the longest standing guitar player in this band. He's absolutely instrumental to the way these songs are written. Now, they may, they may start with Dee Dee, but by the end of the day, they go through Dave's heavy gauge, and, and riffs get changed, and parts get added. And, I mean, this guy will even call me up going, did you record that yet? And I'm like, uh, I was just about to. He goes, listen, I found a harmony for you. You know, I mean, so it's, you know, it's, it, it works like that. It's not a hands-off situation. So I think that this is the reason we're getting great results with records like White Devil Armory is because we have people involved. You know, Ron's added something to the band. Dave is there. He's our heavy gauge. Derek has got a hell of a right hand, you know, to be able to make those, those rhythms happen. And Dee Dee and I have a longstanding relationship. You kind of put it all together. You get five guys out in the road rolling dice, taking each other's money and smoking Cuban cigars. That's a good thing. There you thing. go. <laughs> <laughs> It sure is. I think people tend to forget that Dave is in the band like 15 years. That's half the time the band's been together. And I really think his guitar kind of defines the sound of the band today musically. But yeah, I'll go back to Feel the Fire and Love It. Like I said, it's a nostalgia trip to me. But, you know, I live in the present also. And I love, you know, what's going on now and the sound the band's created. And people say, you know, Overkill, they never, you know, they never veered far from the past. They've always stood the same. And yeah, it's hard to, you know, change the entire sound and style of the band. But you've experimented on every album, going back to the very beginning, and you kind of carried that sound over from album to album and have expanded on it. You've never really repeated yourself. It's hard to avoid your sound. It's your sound, but you've experimented with different stuff over the years. Well, there's, you know, there's a really fine line between repetition and style, you know, between ripping yourself off and actually creating a style. And I think Overkill, you know, we, we, as we talked about this earlier, we know who we are, you know. I mean, there's not this identity crisis. We know what we are. We work on, in the parameters of overkill. But the, the, what's pushed uh, those parameters wider for us is, you know, the luck of having, you know, some really good guitar players in this band. One, when we started with Bobby, um, who, uh, while the rules were being written at the time, was a great person to have in the band. And one, Dave Lynch, who's been there, like you said, almost 15 years, who's always trying to push the walls of that box out. I mean, the guy is about, hey, man, I'm coming in from left field with something new. I'm coming in with, I'm not going to do what you expect. And I, and I really think that Dave is probably one of the, you know, the top three or four guys in this genre because of his thinking and because of, well, let's say, his need to progress himself. And when he progresses, the band progresses. So it's really worked out for us to have, like, uh, you know, defining guitar players uh, in our band uh, over this career. 
Uh, that you have. And like I said, the new record sounds amazing. Uh, you know, it comes out soon. You're going back out on the road again. I mean, do you feel like the state of metal today is, is better? I mean, we know it is, like, as a fan, but... Yeah, I remember, like, my father talking to me when I was a kid. Like, he grew up in the 50s with doo-wop, and by the 70s and 80s, that was dead. And he was thrilled when it came back with those revival shows. I mean, you're not a revival act. Do you ever want to be considered a part of that, or do you just want people to say, hey, we're overkill, and we're going to keep going, and we're going to give you what we want to give you, and you're going to like it whether you like it or not? Well, I mean, that's, I mean, that, that's true, but it, it's kind of a two-part thing. I really don't think metal has revival. I think it more has, you know, it's more about a value in there, that it, it, it's never gone away since the first, you know, ripped Marshall speaker. It's always been there in some capacity or not. It just depends on what level its popularity is. And I think all of it has value. And, you know, what's the first metal riff? I mean, is it a Hendrix riff? Is it Deep Purple riff? Is it Sabbath? You know, I mean, all the way back then, it's gone all the way around. You look at one of the best records uh, of, of uh, 2013, and it was the last Sabbath record. You know, in my, in my opinion, yeah. I'm going, oh my God, I'm, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm, you know, 18 years old again, and I'm, uh, you know, I got something, I got my my greasy little hands on something that is, uh, you know, the big secret. But it's not. I mean, these guys have, you know, persevered for a 40 year period. So I think that we're we happen to be lucky to be in uh, a genre that the value transcends generations. You know, you go to an Overkill show in 2014, you can run into three generations of family. You can run into the dad, the kid, and the grandfather. So you think to yourself, oh, my God, look at, look at the value of this stuff. So, I, I, you know, I don't really look at it like, hey, we're going to do whatever we want and, and, you know, to hell with you if you don't like it. Sure, that's part of our attitude, but the other side of it is that's a whole bunch of other people's attitudes, too. So we all kind of meet on that, let's say, level playing field. Yeah. You know, Bobby, if you go back to the very beginning, a bunch of guys get in a room and say, hey, we're going to start a band. I mean, what were your expectations back then? I mean, did you say to yourselves, you know, we're going to try to make this thing a 40-year thing. We're going to try to make a living off of it. Or you just said to say, man, all I want to do is get my name on a record, get drunk and bang some girls. I mean, what was the goal of, like, starting the band then compared to, like, what you say now is the goal for the band? You kidding me? I, I, I had a beer in each hand and a heart on. I mean, it was about girls and beer. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, gonna, I'm a liar if I'm telling you I was an artist because I most certainly wasn't. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and, and to some degree, I'm not now. You know, now now I have a cup of coffee. <laughs> but the uh, but but I I do think that whatever the motivation is, and you know, I remember back in those days um, that when it starts coming together. I mean, you don't just say, "Oh, today I'm going to be a musician or I'm going to be in a band." You know, you tinker along the way, and then finally some kind of a chemistry happens and an idea happens. And when you first get on that stage, when that idea is a good idea, you get so high that you chase that high forever. You know, I mean, yeah. it's, it's, it's almost like being a junkie to it. You know, you, you end up slaving yourself out to saying, oh, my God, I remember that first gig and how nervous I was. And then when I got off, it was like, what just happened? Well, I, I you know, I equate it to some type of a perfect drug high that, I, you know, for me personally, I've chased for almost a 30-year period now. So I don't know about that first feeling when you get in that room. I do know I had a conversation with my father because I left Manhattan College, and he, he said, what are you leaving Manhattan College for? I said, it took us forever to try to get you in here, and you seem to be doing all right. And I said, well, you know, I said, i got a record deal. You know, I'm going to tour the world, and I'm going to be an artist. And he was like, are you sure this is not about girls and free beer? <laughs> my father told me that. So the story gets better, right? So years later, 
on the 75th birthday, Mike Piazza was a big fan of the band. He was a New York Met at the time. My father and I are Mets fans. In any case, I did a couple benefits for him. He said, whatever you need. I gave him a call one day. I said, listen, my father's turning 75. Can you give me the luxury box? And he said, sure, no problem. He gives me 15 tickets. I bring the whole family. My father's sitting there next to me in the luxury box. We're watching the Mets play the Nationals at Chase Stadium. He puts his arm around me. He goes to me. I knew this overkill thing would work out. And I look him right in the eye. I said, let me tell you something. 25 years ago, it was about girls and free beer. Yeah. <laughs> That's my confession. <laughs> That's too much, man. Hey, it's not bad to be overkill, huh? You get a luxury box at Shea Stadium, not too bad. I bet the anthrax don't get that. Only from a, only from a metalhead. It's only from yeah, a so, metalhead. And I, I mean, that's the, and that and that was nice. I mean, we did some things for him for New York Steel and some other benefits he did. And I, I just always enjoyed his enthusiasm for you know when he was a Met and he was local that he loved and knew all the underground stuff, everything. You know, run into the guy in a Flotsam and Jetsam T-shirt. You know, I mean, he was wearing a three-piece suit. <laughs> <laughs> that, that's so true. But when did it hit you that, you know, hey, this is a business. It's more than just having fun and having the two bears in the channel hard on. We got we to gotta be serious. When did the, like, what point of your career did that come about where you said, you know, this is a business now. You know, we got to make, you know, smarter decisions. Or, you know, it's not just about having a good time. When did that happen? Well, I think, you know, I, I think Dini's always kind of had that in him. I mean, he always understood it. Um, uh, so for me, it happened somewhere around 94 uh, when we started managing ourselves. The Atlantic deal was going away, and you kind of saw that, oh, I don't know, that excess of the 80s and early 90s was going to disappear. And, you know, and I realized that what we had was a lot more valuable. So I kind of, I don't know, I kind of put my, you know, my uh, uh, wheels back on the track uh, and, and said, hey, you know, we got to kind of bear down. And, and he already was uh, in in that mode. So all I had to do was kind of join on. So I, I really think that he was really the inspiration for that and had the preparation and, let's say, the, the foresight to say, hey, man, it's not going to last forever, but if we want to do it forever, we've got to be prepared. And so he was that motivation. Uh, I joined on in 94, you know, with regards to the management when we took it over. And, you know, and it became a good thing. It became a great learning process. You know, you were paying attention to different things all of a sudden. But, you know, we, we made it a business so you could do what you wanted to do. You know, it's, it's the old adage, you know, find something you love, you never work a day in your life. Yeah. And, and for, you know, and, and for sure there's a lot of time that somewhere, even if we're not tool writing or recording, overkill comes across my desk a dozen times a day, you know, even in the slowest time. So, so you have to, you know, you realize it's a full-time job and you've got to put into it to get out of it. But, again, I think that that's that work ethic we spoke about earlier. Uh, I mean, you and D, I mean, all these years together, it's like a brotherhood. But do you guys like, are you like a yin and a yang type thing where he's stronger than things that you're not and you're stronger than things that he's not? And does it work that way or are you, too, are you just two like-minded people on every issue? Well, you know, I, I think it's a good point you know, or a good question. Uh, you know, it's gotten to the point where we don't really have to talk about things anymore. It's more like a nod and a wink, you know what I mean? You just yeah. <laughs> you run your index finger across your nose and the other guy knows exactly what you're talking about. But the... Uh, you know, I, I think we're different, though, and I think that that's why it works. I think he is more long-sighted and, and more with regard to planning and putting ducks in a row. We're, you know, I'm more of that kind of opportunist, you know. I mean, you know, let me out of the gate. I'm going to make some noise really quick, and then you're going to be back in the cage again. Um, so I think if you take an opportunist and, and a planner and you put it together, you probably get the best of both worlds with regard to what your opportunities are going to be. 
You know, he's going to make sure he gets those long ones, and I'm going to make the most out of the day. So yeah. you start taking that, stringing it together, you got you kind of have both bases covered. So, uh, you know, I think it works that way. So, yeah, good question. Yeah, like I said, because you handle you know the band's business in these days. I've done these for a long time now. This is a dirty business. I mean, I think this is probably worse than politics in some sense. And you deal with some pretty fucked up people, you know, and from promoters to press and on. Who is the most sleaziest guy you've ever had to, or woman that you've ever had to deal with, like in this business? Who was the one person that you said, if I get a hold of that guy today, I'd fucking strangle him? Well, I was strangling this guy in Chicago, right? <laughs> <laughs> You think I'm kidding? I had him right outside the tour bus. <laughs> I let him go for a second. He ran. We loaded all our stuff in. He uh, he left the uh, the local crew pilfered all our merch. It was all gone by the time we got upstairs. They they just took it and and just you know threw it in trucks and sent it back to their houses or whatever and and you know denied doing it and then the guy wouldn't pay us. But regardless, I mean that, the the whole place is you know was full of it back then. You know, there was a lot of that stuff back then on the level when we were starting. You know, I, I mean, I, I remember a lot of stories. I remember a guy, uh, you know, a tour manager spending all our money in a bar one night, you know, and, and, and saying, how the hell are we going to get from Berlin to, you know, to Warsaw, Poland now? Yeah, we have no money. I, I remember holding him against the Pelendini. I said, go through his pockets, man. <laughs> See what he had. <laughs> so, sure, those times existed. They're, they're few and far between, though. You know, I mean, these, these are those kind of rock and roll stories. You know, for being a being a road band or being a road dog. But I, uh, I those people existed, but they exist on a level. You know, and if you can kind of like separate yourself from that level a little bit, protect yourself with with better people around you, I don't think you really run into that uh, in the modern day so much. Yeah, you hear you hear those stories all the time. I'm mean, like, holy shit, man! Like you say, you're in another country. You got the money in your pocket. Like, hey, what the hell do we do here? I can imagine what goes on, and I'm sure it's better today than it was back then. I mean, as far as that, especially with you guys handling everything, you know. But I'm not going to keep it because I know you got this going on all day long, and I'll give you a little breather in between there. But White Devil Army comes out on the 18th. You put an amazing package together. There's one with a belt buckle and a belt in there and all that shit, and I mean, it's coming out on vinyl, which I love because to me, nothing sounds better than a vinyl record. Forget about the CDs and the MP3s. It's all in the vinyl to me, man. But I'm real happy for you guys. I'm glad you're still going. I can't wait to catch you on tour. I got one million dollar question for you. A promoter yeah. comes up to you guys and says, listen, we're going to throw some insane money at you like you've never seen before in the millions. Get the classic lineup back together. Hit the road. Do songs off the first two records. Do you pull a kiss and say goodbye to the guys that made the band what it is with you for the last 15 years? And go out and do it, or do you say "fuck you," take us as we are, and that's it? I got, I got the answer for you right here, Ben. I got to end the interview. Ready? Yeah. Hey, what do you yeah. say? This is Bobby Blitz on Metal Mayhem. That's right. White Devil Armory coming your way. That's all that matters. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Bobby, man. It was great talking to you, Blitz. The best of luck. I can't wait to see you guys when you're back in New Jersey with this tour. Pleasure, Mike. Take care, buddy. Bye, bye, man.
go. Brand new Overkill Armorist. They just keep getting better and better with every oh, album, T. You know, oh, I, I love the way they sound now. Those last couple of albums have been fucking so good. I can't wait for I this. I know. I know. And, and I, I was got... not, and I was not, I got, you know, and I got to call call it. When I when they first come out, I, I didn't really like them. And then they grew on me, you know? Yeah, but, yeah. I mean, Jesus Christ, man. This stuff is so good now. I, they are. I mean, I've always been a fan since the demo days with the Power and Black, and I've seen yeah. them a countless times at Lamar and over well, the years. I think so. what me is, I, it was like a guilty, I don't know if you want to call it a guilty play. It was like, I, I liked them in, like, you know, I was like a closet overkill fan because there were kids that liked them that I didn't like. You know yeah, what I mean? so you like, want everybody to know. Yeah, like guys <laughs> on my block didn't like Kiss, but they liked Kiss. Yeah, okay? but I know. They didn't like Kiss because the younger guys liked Kiss. But now when they talk about Kiss, you know, so I, I don't really attack them because I, I do that a lot with, like, you know, you don't like bands like Motley Crue. I hated them, you know. But what is it with you and Motley Crue? You always rip it on Motley Crue all the time. I'm sorry, but that's oh how my. I felt. But you there know, are songs that I like, and I actually I do own overall. a couple of CDs, you know, when I belong to the CD club. You used to put your penny in the envelope. <laughs> I used to get it with, I used to do that with cassettes back in the day with the Columbia Music House oh, and right, right, other yeah, ones. The but you, you you're talking about Motley Crue. I know you're not a big Motley Crue fan, but they're out on their final farewell tour right now. Yeah. And yeah. uh it seems like they had a lot of problems on, on the first show. I forgot where the first show was I, I don't know if it was Detroit or Wisconsin. I don't remember where it was, but uh like three songs in I guess one of the heads on one of Tommy Lee's drums broke. <laughs> <laughs> and it took like 20-something minutes for them to change it. I, I mean, I don't know how a professional row crew could take 20 minutes to change out the head on a, on anything, a kick drum or whatever it was. That yeah. shouldn't have taken that long. So Mick Mars played a solo for a little bit, but he couldn't keep going to fill up the time. So Vince Neil came out kind of shut everything down so they could change it. So everything went black until they could fix it. I mean, first off, I mean, really, what, what should it take to change your head on a drum? Is it 10 minutes at, at top for a professional row crew? Yeah, really. If you can't do a 10-minute guitar solo or the singer can't come out and rap or talk to the audience for 10 minutes like to get them going, especially at the beginning of the show when they're yeah. all pumped up, there's something wrong there. And then it just got worse from there because they went into a couple of older songs. I think it was like Too Fast for Love. And they yeah. forgot how, Big Moss forgot how to play it, so they had to stop and redo it again. Wow. He forgot how to the beginning of the new song that they have out. Uh, I don't remember the name of it, but and they had to do that again. Then something else happened. <laughs> With another tune, they couldn't. They said that the drums broke again, but they were saying that he just didn't remember how it went, so they stopped and restarted. The lights went oh, down again. Jesus, wow. I mean, you know, come on. These are guys that are, I mean, these guys are together 30 something years. You shouldn't have these problems. Yeah, technical problems are always going to happen. I know that. You can't help it if the power goes out, something breaks. It's just like. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for doing it as long as you have, you've got to know how to fill up that time. I mean, that's what the singer is for. He just, he was telling the audience to sit down. He has to sit down because he's tired. <laughs> come on, you know. I know we're getting old. If I was the stage manager, I would have told him, get some acoustic guitars, just sit on some stools, and do some of your songs. Songs acoustic for a few, well, you know, a few you know, minutes. He can't sit down. He's like a straight. He's got that, that spine disease. I've got the name. Oh. But I can't. Well, so he with. can walk around while everybody else. Uh... Yeah, he can barely move anymore. But I was like, holy cow! But then I was watching a video clip of, uh, I guess, one of the other shows on the tour from this week. And you know, Tom Lee's got that massive drum setup, like you know, with that rig where he goes up and spins around. Right, right, right. This one goes up to the ceiling of the arena, right? Then it loops. Right. It looks like a roller coaster. It loops down into like like a, a horseshoe or a corkscrew, whatever it is. Uh -huh. Then it goes up again, down again, up again, and then it comes down somewhere in the middle of the stadium. 
And, and uh-huh. it goes very slow, but he goes on it like a track, like a roller coaster, but very yeah, slow yeah, yeah. as the thing spins. And he lands in the middle of the Like, you know, I got to give him credit. That's a pretty freaking, you know, that's pretty wild to see that, like when you're out there in the, in the, in the audience. That's a pretty wild thing. I mean, it's like, it's a big thing, too. It's not like it just goes straight up and down. So I was like, wow, I that's heard, pretty wild. And I heard that um, they also, uh, he said that there was like certain, certain arenas couldn't handle his setup. So it was I'm, too, uh, if you look yeah. at this track, it's really tremendous. I mean, wow. it really goes from stage to the middle of like, say, the Madison Square Garden. It would end up in the middle of the floor. So I can imagine some smaller places can't fit it, but I mean, they, you really got to have trust in your road crew to make sure that your seat is like, you know, like nailed down to the floor and that you're strapped in tight because really, you're, yeah. you're going upside down. Wow. So you got to really be strapped in good. I wonder if he wears a jock strap so his cock doesn't fall out, hit him in the head when he's playing. <laughs> can knock him out. <laughs> yeah, because it's got like a, what is it got, like a two and a half foot uh, dick, that guy. Something like that. <laughs> you remember when we had a sister on the show? We had James Kotak and his sister. Oh yeah, <laughs> she was wild, child. Yeah, man. and we asked if it was, you know, we asked if uh, sex was room for her to see the size of our brother's dick with another man. She got mad, right? Yeah, she got a little pissed off, but you know, hey. <laughs> now look, hey. Kotak's not with her now, right? No, they're, they're separated. He's not pretty, either. pretty much out of Scorpions now. I don't know. I mean, he got arrested and uh, locked up in one of those countries for bed yeah, he's, going, with... he's going on some kind of program, I think, and I think Scorpion's picked up somebody. I think All he right. play with Halloween or something just to oh, okay. before. He's been with the band uh, since the mid-90s, I think. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a long time, so I'm sure. Then again, like the Scorpions, we're retiring, we're not retiring. That goes on and on with all these bands and everything, but eh, it is what it is, right? Yes, yes, yes. All right, let's get on one more tune. Then we have Mr. Kent Pierce from PierceMail.com who's going to tell us what's going on in New York this week. I figured since we played Overkill from New Jersey, let's stick with New Jersey. This is a band called Sneak Attack. They didn't have a lot of Alk in the day. Uh, they won that Born to Metalize uh, compilation from Mega, uh, Megaforce Records. And if there's any band that really kind of like stole their sound from Overkill, especially the vocals, it was this band. Even though I like them, there's a lot of Overkill influence in their sound. And when you hear the singer, he's got a lot of Bobby in him. So uh, you let me know what you think. Here's Sneak Attack with the song Sneak Attack. <laughs>
you go. Sneak attack with sneak attack. Man, my testicles went up when he hit those high notes, you know? Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> they got a lot of overkill in them. He sounds a little bit like Blitz on some of those uh, lines. Yeah, definitely. They were probably an influence, definitely. Oh, without a doubt. Good band. Well, you know what? We got Kenny Pierce coming up in about two seconds with the console calendar update. And right after that, David DeFeast from Virgin Steel. And also got some other stuff to tell you about with some interviews coming up. Uh, but let's get Kenny on right now, and uh, we'll find out what's happening. And we'll talk about that right afterwards. So, Kenny, what's going on, my friend? Well, hello there, Michael, and happy Fourth of July weekend to you. I hope you're having a grand old time and, and uh, getting that cheese on the burgers. Well, that, that sounded funnier in my head. Anyway, hey, let me just get right down to the nitty-gritty with you because this week is kind of a slow week in terms of shows, but there are some big ones. The first show I see listed for the week is going to be Yes over at the Radio City Music Hall. Legendary Yes, you don't want to miss these kings of the prog rock sound, so get over there if you still can get a ticket. On Thursday, Aerosmith is bringing the rock back to Jones Beach Theater. You know you want to go to that because he's got Slash along for the ride, and Slash has Miles Kennedy singing, who's in Alter Bridge and, uh, and was doing apparently rumored to do some stuff with the, the guys in Led Zeppelin, but that just never happened. On Friday, formerly scheduled for Santos Party House, the Rock and Rebel Tour that features Farewell, My Love, and James Elsewhere, is going to be at a place called Coco 66. New new venue popping up on the piercing metal radar. So that's uh, apparently in Brooklyn, this, this space. I'll, I'll be finding out more and presenting it to you on the calendar if anything interesting is happening there. On Saturday, the musical box brings the legendary music of Genesis, Peter Gabriel era to B.B. King Blues Club. So if you have not yet seen this band, know that they are an officially sanctioned by Peter Gabriel Group, and they use the real props. So that's pretty cool. They'll be playing Foxtrot and more, and tickets are still available. That's all I have, my friends, and I hope that it's enough for you this week. Until next time, please find Piercing Metal on Facebook or on Twitter and Instagram. And if I've left out anything super important, please drop me a private message to the Piercing Metal mailbox, and I will talk to you guys next week. Bye. All right, Kenny, thank you very much. Coco 66, I think I know her sister, Pink Velvet 23. Uh, that was Coco 69. <laughs> 69. <laughs> Where do they come up with the names of these places? Oh, there, there is a lot of nice uh, <laughs> venues opening in Brooklyn. There's one uh, SR, SRB or something. It's on uh, 3rd Avenue uh, right okay. in uh, Park Slope. Well, that's good, right? Got a nice big stage. Uh, friends I of like mine that. Played. I didn't even know they were playing, but, uh, you know. I yeah. it. But, uh, well, speaking of shows, I know our friends in Toxic Shock have a show coming up at Black Phone 51 where you guys played uh, yeah, a few nice weeks ago. Yeah, so we'll have to get more info on that. I'll speak to Ray to find out, let you know when it's going to take place. I believe it's in August. Uh, there's a lot of shows coming up that we're looking forward to, but, you know, the one thing about this show is that we're an 80s metal show, and we try to feature all the bands from the 80s, and we're all about the 80s on the ground. We try to dig up bands that people forgot about, don't remember, or, you know, those classic bands that we love and grew up with, you know, with the demo tape days and stuff like that. 
And, you know, over the last year, it's really been going all off with the new wave of British heavy metal bands, trying to find as many as we can who didn't have, like, that big success, but people remember them. So we've dug them up again. Next week, we have Tony Foster from Sparta on the show. At the end of the month, we have uh, Steve Bosley from Black Rose, two great bands from the late 70s, early 80s that are coming on. And we really dug deep into the barrel of the underground for the week after that. We have uh, Gary Winslow from August Red Moon out of California, the band that put out the one hour back in the eighties. This is, these are the bands that I love to interview. Yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And Wreck Anthony hell? from and Wreck Anthony from Breaker, a guy who grew up in England, was in the new wave of British heavy metal band Pets Fine, they relocated to Canada with uh, Breaker now lives in New York and he plays in the Iron Maiden cover band Sanctuary. That was a band that Bobby uh, Leatherlong used to play with for a while before hooking up oh, with wow. uh, Attacker yeah. again. Yeah, yeah. So uh, we got, and I got a whole bunch of other great classic eighties bands that we're still getting ready to confirm them. Uh, for the next couple of weeks, but we've got guys from Saints Anger and other bands, so we're working all that for you right now, as well as anybody else who pops up into town uh, during the week. But here's one that I found was funny. There's somebody I deal with, you know, that hooks me up with some interviews uh, in the business, so she was like, are you, are you interested in Stephen Percy from Rat? So I said, yeah, sure, why not? We'll talk to Stephen, you know, what the hell? She goes, uh, how much are you willing to pay for the interview? What? So I was like, why? He goes, well, he gets paid for doing interviews. And well, so he won't be getting paid from this show. <laughs> he wants to do it for free like everybody else does. I mean, I'd be more than happy to have him on, 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 the, on the show, you know, but we don't pay for it. And, and it isn't like that person's asking for money, like for herself for the interview. It's because he he's, he's asking for money to do interviews. Uh-huh. Wow. Which I don't get because, you know what? You're not in a position to ask anybody to pay you for an interview because really nobody's even interested in you in anymore to begin with. Let's be honest with you. He's getting paid to play. Uh, uh, exactly. Uh, yeah. And then I won't mention any names, but he, we've had him on the show. He was a guest on our anniversary show, and he, had, he was telling me that, and other people, that they, his band played with Rat. At, I don't know if it was Rat or Stephen Purse's solo band. I don't remember which one it was, to be honest with you, at yeah. some festival. And Stephen has a singer backstage singing the words over him to fill in his voice because he can't sing anymore live. Oh, shit. Yeah, so I won't mention anybody's names, but it's been proven. It's been seen by a very reliable source, and this band is, you know, about as straight up as you can get. So he's got somebody singing backstage into the microphone. And you know what? I don't remember if it was... I think it was Joe Lynn Turner. had Joe Lynn Turner on the show. He was saying that David Coverdale does the same thing. He has, like, you know... Maybe not somebody backstage, but he hasn't well, recorded. Well, to tell you the truth, I don't think David Coverdale does it anymore because the last couple of fucking tracks, I've seen <laughs> live YouTube videos of him. He yeah. sounds fucking terrible. Well, what happened you know, was we, one time we were talking about, I was talking on a forum, you know, another Facebook page with somebody, and I mentioned somebody, why don't they get Coverdale, you know, to, to sing Led Zeppelin? And he goes, have you heard him lately? And he sent me a YouTube clip. I couldn't fucking believe it. He is horrid. Well, he's getting older and his voice isn't holding up. He yeah, also had surgery I mean, on his throat, he's too. He's not even trying, Mikey. He is like, I know. Wow. I, I agree with you. But, you I know, mean, we had Lenny, the... let's put it this way. Now, Lemmy was never a singer, but Lemmy the man sounds better. still sounds better than he used to. I know. He actually well, you know... sounds better. I mean, Listen, we, 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 had, we had Doug Aldridge on the show. You know, right. he's a guitar player for oh, thing. And I asked him. Guy. He's not going to say anything bad. I, I asked him, listen, Joe Turner came out and said he uses, you know, machines to you know, help with the vocals. And so that's absolutely not true. He says, I play with the man all the time. He does not use machines. Yeah, yeah, and based yeah. on how it sounded, I, I don't believe it either. But you know what? It could be a grudge. Who the hell knows? Maybe they did do it at one time. Yeah. I think a lot of people have, you know, I don't know. Who knows? Well, I saw, I saw Stephen Percy open for 
it well open. You know, it was on the bill with Twisted Sister when they played yeah. out in uh, Starlight. And um, and um, I, I had to admit, he was good. So maybe he did have somebody else bring him on. He did have somebody back there because he says that he does. Wow. There was a clip of a festival that Rat did right before they broke up. Right. He sounded horrible. Either wow. they couldn't get somebody to do it for him back there. They didn't have anybody available. Well, I don't know how it worked. But it yeah, they think of it. Maybe that was like where he said, I got to start using somebody now. I don't really know. But uh, it is what it is. But we're not going to be I paying mean, for any interviews it's like over here. Fucking, it's, I think it's worse than uh, just singing to the record. Where they call Listen, karaoke. Six, we're doing this show. We're going on six or seven years now, whatever the hell it is. We've had everybody on the show. We have members from Slayer, Megadeth. Creed. We've had Rob Halford on the show. If Rob Halford ain't looking to get paid to do an interview, nobody's getting paid, okay? Oh, that's true. I mean, <laughs> All come right? on. So sure. I just found that funny. Like, I'm like, yeah, well, you know, I have so many PR people and so many record companies that I deal with for interviews that I don't really look that much anymore. When I, give, when I go for those underground bands, those yeah. are the ones I've booked myself because they're like my favorites and I want to get them on. Yeah, but yeah. Most, of the, most of the other bands, like, you know, like Overkill Today and, and David Davies, they come from, from record labels and PR people that yeah. are promoting them. So, I, I, you know, we work with them, we get them on, but I, know I try for those underground. You were have, was having trouble getting Overkill. For a while. We had Bobby yeah. on like years ago, and they told me to call him. It was like 8 o'clock in the morning or something, because wherever they were out on tour, and he yeah. was so sweet, but he was so grouchy, because I woke him up. But yeah, he, he seemed he, really good today, yeah. yeah. he was a good sport, you know, even forget, figuring, you know, they just went to bed probably two hours before that, after playing yeah, all night. Yeah, yeah. That's but, you true. Know, that shit happens, but, yeah, like I said, there's no way we're paying hey. for it. We don't hey. pay nobody. And, and the fact oh, that you even shit. ask. Is is, is mind boggling today. I've heard this before. It's happened, but we we never did it. We never will. But hey, we gotta get some music on because we got David the Feast in a few minutes. It's gonna one or two more tunes. We'll play some Virgin Steel. Like yeah. I said, we're all about the underground here. And if anybody knows, I'm you know we had Tommy Bowen on. I think about two years ago, we met Tommy. Went to the Nam show. Uh, yeah. Tommy played in Warlock. And he has his own band in New York City right now, NYC. Even though he's out in California, he still calls it New York City. He's a New York boy. But he played with a band called Armed Forces back in the early 80s. They put out one record. And I'm trying to get a hold of the singer, Scott Knight. It's almost impossible. This guy, mm. Tom, this guy, he's talking about a milk cart. He makes you look like you're the most visible guy in the world. You disappeared. <laughs> this guy really disappeared. This guy went to the woodwork. I mean, I can't wow. find, I found all the other guys in Armed Saint, but none of them, I mean, uh, Armed Saint. Armed Forces, but none of them are interested in doing it because they're not really involved in music, I guess, anymore. They don't want to. Right, right. But I'm trying to find Scott Knight because I remember hearing some stories about why they kicked him out of the band. I think that would make a good interview, you know? So if anybody knows where I can find Scott Knight, I got to talk to my friends at Snake Pit Magazine. They would probably know because they're like me. They're like the print version of this show. They dig oh, okay. up all the classics from the 80s. So I got to check with Laurent to see if he knows. Uh, but if anybody knows where I can find Scott Knight, and that's probably not his real last name, it's probably the stage name, but, you know, let me know because I, I want to get him on here. But. All right, enough of that. Let's go do a little German metal right now. We'll get some Warrant on. Uh, if I have time, I'll go into one more tune. If not, some Virgin Steel, because then we got to get to David. So here you go, The Rack. <laughs>
right, there you go. 44 Magnum with Nightmare out of Japan, Osaka, to be precise. You know, I tell you, I, I, yesterday I went to the Chinese buffet with my wife for dinner. Yeah. So, and I can tell you, I, we've been blessed. We've been able to travel all over this world. We've been to a lot of different countries. I mean, we've been to France. We've been to Spain. We've been to Italy. Italy. We've been to Arkansas. That's not really a country, but, you know, it's like a third world, so maybe it is in a way. Who knows? <laughs> oh, <you're cool. laughs> that goes out to our friend Ryan Harmon. But I'm just saying, everywhere we go, no matter where we are, my wife speaks in broken English, like with that accent. So speaking a French accent, an Italian yeah, accent. Right, 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 right. Like, like, like they're going to understand her because she's speaking with the accent. Like, <laughs> and I laugh every time we go. She yeah. used to be with the Chinese buffet, and my daughter calls up. She, you know, she was working. She goes, can you bring me home something? I tell her something. The girl comes by, I get the takeout box. You know, we'll load up some stuff for her. So she's trying to speak to the girl in, in, in broken Chinese and a broken Chinese accent about getting the box. So the girl's staring at her. She goes, she doesn't understand me. I said, because she speaks English. She's from England. She's from our country. She's English. She's from the box. And I live because everywhere we go, she does that. And it makes my day because I lift my ass off. It's like, she doesn't understand me. I'm like, I don't understand you. I'm sitting right across from you. <laughs> so I give you a box. I tell you. Too much, too much. All right, that's enough for that. Do you think when you go to, like, people in China, do you think they go to, like, an American buffet the way we go to a Chinese buffet in their country? Right, like, do they have, like, Big Macs, Whoppers? I'm not saying, is there, like, an American buffet where they have, like, hamburgers and hot dogs, like, all you can eat, like we go to the Chinese buffet here? Maybe. I don't know. It's a good idea. We should try that. I know, I'm going to have to ask some Chinese people. Any Chinese listeners out there, if you know, let me know. And if you come from Arkansas, I, I apologize. You're not as bad as Canada. Don't worry. Oh. <laughs> All right. Don't, don't get me started on Canada right now. We got to get the uh, David Diffuse from Overkill. You know, I didn't have time to play a, a Virgin Steel song, so let's just get the interview going, and we'll double up at the end. We'll play something off the re-released uh, Marriage of Heaven and Hell, Part 1 and 2, and Evictus, okay. and we'll get something else on. But uh, let's uh, get David here. Hey, David, yes. this is Mike. How are you? All right. How are you? I'm doing great. Pleasure to talk with you today. Nice to speak with you, Mike. Uh, hey, well, look, this seems like a pretty good time in the world of Virgin Steel because a lot of people today are getting to hear some of those older albums that, you know, maybe they didn't pick up back in the time in uh, SVP since we're releasing everything all over again. Yeah, yeah, little by little, the whole catalog is coming out, and it's, uh, it's, a, you know, it's quite a bit of stuff that we did put out, so it's taken a while to get everything out, but it's slowly but surely coming together, all of it. Absolutely. And, you know, right now it's The Marriage of Heaven and Hell, Part 1, Part 2, and Invictus. And, you know, as a fan looking into the band and being a fan, I mean, since the, the very beginning, it seems like this is like kind of like your favorite era of the band. You know, the band can be divided into so many different, you know, decades or genres or eras, but this seems to be the one that you seem to be the most proud of, if that's the right word. I mean, it's hard because you're probably proud of everything you do, but this seems to be like your favorite time musically. Uh, probably from the marriage forward. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Is is my you know I like what we're doing now, what we've did you know recently, and I've, I've really enjoyed doing these reissues because ah uh, we get to put on something old and something new and something live and something whatever on each of these uh, reissues. So it's it's been very very creative time for us. Every every one of the records has uh, the re-releases has had uh, extra tracks, and it's been um, it's been nice to to remaster the original things, especially the, these marriage records. I heard stuff in there that was wow! I forgot that was in there. I haven't heard that since we were in the studio making it. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so things were a little uh, a little more clarity was brought to some of those recordings, which which is nice. And uh, yeah, and we're just we're always looking forward. You know, we're uh, we're happy to 
bring back those records and, and give them a new uh, a new light, so to speak, and, and bring the extra tracks when we can, of course. And uh, we're forging forward to uh, what's, what we're doing for October. That's really what's on our minds right now. That's great. Yeah, yeah I was just going to say, because, you know, when, you, when you're writing a record, sometimes, I mean, these are, it's hard to say these are records because there's so much more to them. I mean, they're like, they're like epics. And I guess when you're that involved with them and you spend so much time putting it together and you think you got it done and you release it, you're like, all right, I did a really good job. This is great. And then a month goes by like, oh, like he says, why did I, I forgot about that? How come I didn't change that? I wish we could have did this. So I guess in a way, this is sort of like getting a second chance to kind of go back in and maybe tweak some of the sounds, add some pitches. So it must be nice to have that opportunity to go back on, on, on past work and kind of, you know, make it to what you think it should be today because everything changes in time. Yeah, it is, and you want to you know, when you're remastering something. We didn't remix anything, so you know the performances on those records are all exactly the same. But with the remastering, um, you know, I was able to make it sound more like it sounded like when we were in the studio doing it. When we first reissued, uh, when we first released those records, um, I was never happy with the mastering that was done on them. So I was, I was like, yeah, wow. But you get used to it after a while, and it's like that's the, the way the record sounds, and there it is. But then going back to the original tapes, and you say, oh wow, that's really what it sounded like. Okay, wow, cool. <laughs> so it's really, yeah. it's great. It's gratifying to be able to to do that. Absolutely. It really is, and like I said, since I go back to you guys from the beginning, you know, I, today it, it boggles my mind sometimes when people talk about Virgin Steel, and they still mention Jack Starr, and I'm like. You know, that was like over 25, 30 years ago on two records. Eddie's been the guitar player, I mean, for like 25 years. And there's a whole Virgin Steel that really became Virgin Steel after those. I mean, I look at those first two records as a, a different Virgin Steel, if that makes sense, compared oh, to yes, the came totally. from Noble Savage yeah. on. And I'm like, I don't get yeah. why people still mention that today when that's not, you know, Virgin Steel, you know, if that makes any sense. Yeah, that's people who are who are you know much older and who only stopped after those records. You know, they didn't really. Maybe they stopped after Noble Savage or, or didn't even go, get that far. You know, some of those people because they moved on to other things or whatever. And you know, we have in certain quarters of the world we've been very visible. In other places we haven't been, and in our own country we have not always been as visible as we were in say Italy or Greece. You know, and uh, that's just the way things are. Perception is whatever it is. You know, because because I of know. that. You know, and that's you know, that's just the nature of the beast, and whatever. You know, uh, it's, it's we're still here, so it's not too late to catch up, and that's why the reissues are cool. Yeah, exactly. I, mean, I personally feel that you know, from Noble Savage on is when the band came into its own. I mean, you know, with Age of Consent and Life Among Rumors, then you know, the Marriage albums. I feel that's Thanks. when the band really became the band, and. You know, I mean, I love it all, but, I, you know, and I look at, like, so many different eras of the band to me. I enjoy each one for what they are, but I felt the, the 90s when other bands were struggling and I guess, you know, the whole metal scene in general you know, kind of fell apart with the grunge and everything else. You guys seemed, I mean, musically to thrive. I mean, it was like almost every year there was a new record out where other bands must have been scratching the heads saying, how are these guys doing that? We were, uh, you know, well, we had our problems prior to that, earlier on with a manager who kind of destroyed the band for a little while and we had some some crazy labels that we were on that things didn't work out so we kind of you know went through that earlier and by the time the marriage happened we had kind of put things back together and uh it's like okay let's go full steam ahead we're actually really with life among the ruins and then it just kind of snowballed with you know from from there and we got into a good situation with uh, noise records over in germany and uh kind of put the uh, the past label business behind for 
quite a while, and things worked out until uh, until they got bought by Universal, and then it got things kind of got crazy again. Then I had to find a new home, which we have now with SPP, so things are good again. You know, it's comfortable again. But for a while, there was a little little, little crazy. That's been just the nature of this this business, and and you know, deal, dealing with it for so many years. Yeah. You know, Diddy, like, like, I love a four-minute Diddy, you know, chorus, verse. You guys go way beyond that, most of your music. I mean, some of the themes that you tackle and some of the stories that you try to tell, I look at it and I'm saying, you know, when you're sitting there writing this, it must be mind-boggling trying to take these massive stories and trying to condense them. Into, I mean, it's not like the albums are short, but trying to condense, like, something that should take weeks or months or years into, like, you know, a 60- or 90-minute package. I mean, it has to be difficult trying to put, you know, what you have in your head into something it's that never easy to, to say, what am I going to cut out of this stuff? You know, it's like, yeah. you look at it and you go, it all becomes very personal to you and you're like, ah, oh, blood involved in it. But you have to kind of be objective, step back and say, all right, now, um, do I really need that? Do I really need that? Or can I hold this back and, and, and build on this later? So, yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's like, I, 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 I call it, you know, when I just describe it, wrestling with the universe. That's what it feels like to me, <laughs> to give birth to these things. It's like you're wrestling with the universe. You know, that's what it feels like. And, yeah, you go through all kinds of trips. Oh, I should have t- did that. I should have done this, whatever. But after a while, you know, it is what it is, and, and, it, and it kind of becomes classic. I don't think there's anything that I really put out there that was like, um, I'm, I can't live with. There are things I wish could have been you know, spent more time on or whatever, but well, not really so much from the writing standpoint. You know, that's... That's something I always well, yeah, these are the songs, this is how it should have gone, this is the arrangement, fine, cool. It's always more on the recording end of things, you know, the, whether it be the performance uh, or there's, you know, how it went to tape and, and like that. Those are the things you always agonize over. Yeah, I, I can imagine editing has to be, like I said, editing has to be the hardest part. It's like when a, a director makes a movie and he has all these scenes, and then when you go to see the final product, things have to be cut to kind of fit together. But the fact that you kind of do it all from the writing and, and creating music and, and engineering everything else, you kind of don't have anybody say to you, oh, no, David, you've got to cut it here, we've got to move on, we've got to do this. So it, it must be difficult in your own mind, like you said, to kind of like know when to say enough is enough or what not to leave out or what to put in. That has to be difficult. It really does. It is. It is very difficult. My yeah, it can. It can be, and you can get really wrapped up in yourself and whatever, and then you think everything is so you know precious, and you know. But at the end of the day, you have to say, well, look, you know, what's really important, what's not, and and, and try to remain objective. That's you can be objective when you have time, when you're like kind of really pressed against the clock, and people are demanding the thing. That's when it gets antsy, and sometimes you can make decisions that that don't go so well. But when there is the ample time, you, you can put the thing away. You know, do something else for a week or two, come back to oh, and say, oh yeah, that's really pretty good. I, I should stop working on that now, or or that really sucks. Let's do that again. You know, yeah. That's when when you know when it comes together, and that, we're kind of in that mode now where it's actually pretty good. There's, there's a lot more work to come for October, but it's not so. I'm not. I don't. I'm not feeling it's it's like crunch time yet. Everything's pretty cool. Everything's flowing really nicely, and we have a bunch of nice new tracks that we're working on, and I think it's going to be uh, pretty neat. Pretty neat. Is that no, the, bring is out that two new records. I'm sorry. Is that Ghost Harvest? I've been hearing a lot about Ghost Harvest. Yeah, yeah. Ghost Harvest is going to be actually two records. Uh, they might have their own. It's Ghost Harvest is like the the, the the brand of the thing. It's the Ghost Harvest. It's not necessarily going to be part one or part two, but it's going to be 
uh, it's going to be within that 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 title. There'll be these two records, and uh, um, details to, uh, to come further as I decide exactly <laughs> what everything's going to be called and what's going on there. But there's another like there's like 19 tracks on what what I called Ghost Harvest, and there's another I think 13 tracks that we're recording right now. Probably most of that, 90%, if not all of it, will end up being on there. I may move some stuff from this second record onto the Ghost Harvest and take and vice versa and flip some things around and put something on, because we're also putting out uh, Hymns to Victory and uh, the Book of Burning, so I might put some uh, track on there that we're doing. So I'm, I'm not quite sure how, how the, the running order is going to be for everything, but there's a lot of stuff that's going to come out. There'll be two, two new, new records. Oh, that'd be great. Is this a story that you've come up with on your own? Or have you kind of like tapped into like mythology history for this one? This is not a story. This is just a series of unrelated, just straight up, oh. you know, tracks. Yeah. <laughs> oh. The following one is going to be in back to the epic, barbaric, romantic uh, concept type of thing. And that's kind of a, got, got a Greek. Uh, I guess it's kind of a, got like a Greek theme to it. The ancient yeah. gods have, have reared their heads once again in some way, shape, or form. But it's not necessarily only about that. You know, like like a lot of the stuff, it's it's got a footing in there. But I'm always talking about what's happening now in life today. So uh, the, yeah, I, I, that's that record has also been uh, um, well underway, and, and we have all the guitars done, and there's a lot of stuff done on that. I've, I've got half the vocals done on that record already. So there's still a lot of work to be done on that. But it's it's it should come out sometime between February and. Uh, April, I believe, is, is our tentative uh, uh, date there, sometime in, in that area, in that zone. Oh, that'd be great. It's been about four years since the Black Light came out, so, I mean, we're, yeah. we're kind of due for some new version of Steel. That'd be great. Yeah, well, you are going to get the new stuff in October. You know, it's it's a little confusing when I talk about it, because people think, well, what is that, just a bunch of tracks you have, you know, laying around from each record? No, they're all new tracks that were recorded for this thing. Some of it just snowballed last summer when we were doing thinking about the, the bonus tracks for Invictus, and I was going to put them out, the Ghost Harvest sessions, with, with that. But it just didn't feel right to me at the end of the day. I said, well, let's not do that. Let's do this, these acoustic things. Let's do something else. And at the 11th hour, I just did a switch, and we, and we did that. Because I want the Ghost Harvest to have its own thing, and it, it works better with these other things within, in, the, in the confines of the box set. The one record has got some 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 rewritten covers like we do the song Black Sabbath on there is DOA by Blood Rock that's on there there's a few you know things like that that have been rewritten and then there's new tracks and then there's, uh, there's some uh, straight up hard rocky I guess somewhat bluesy tracks in there it's a little more esoteric and then the other record is more straight on um, you know uh, crazy burden steel style metal stuff so uh it's a good it's a good well-rounded package of, of all these things and like i said it's this, this new material written for this specific thing what we're doing with this is it's kind of like i know it's been a long time since uh, uh the the black light bacchanalia and we wanted to do another big massive record which is going to be this thing for between february and, and april but these records again are new material and it's our way of celebrating our what's going to be our 35th anniversary. It's a way of saying thank you to all the people who stayed with us all these years, such as yourself. And it's just a way of uh, celebrating with everyone, getting these tracks. I, I kind of think of them as our physical graffiti, you know, the Led Zeppelin album, yeah. <laughs> in a way, because there's all kinds of different stuff on there. And we want to get this, I just want to get this off my chest and then move forward with the other things, you know. And I think people will really dig some of these tracks. There's a really heavy track called Lucifer's Hammer that uh, I think people are really going to dig. It's, it's coming out in October. 
I mean, I'm so looking forward to it. You know, a lot of people say, oh, you know, it's been four years since the last record. You know, what's going on? But I don't think a lot of people realize you're always working. You're always writing. You're always recording. And you've got a lot of outside interest, too, and you do a lot of other projects, you know, especially back in the day. I mean, I, I, I love the original Sin and the Exorcist stuff. I love the stuff oh, you cool. did when you work with Pile Drive, when you work with Gordon yeah. up in Canada. These were great things. Were these things that you recorded or worked on back then because you felt that it kind of didn't fit into, like, you know, the version steel sound or, or you know, in, in system? Uh, the, well, we were actually asked. That was kind of like almost like, you know, somebody stick, stick a gun to you and say, yeah, you have to do this because because <laughs> uh, you owe us all this money. And if, uh, you, do okay. these records, if you do these records for me, uh, you will wipe the slate clean. It was one of those things that, you know, that happened with the old manager or whatever. You know, uh, you, you wrecked this car, you did this, that, and the other thing. And, you know, you know uh, I've spent fortune on you, or so we claimed. And uh, you do these for me, and uh, everything is groovy, you know. <laughs> yeah. So that's what happened. But like anything else, any project that that I tackle or Eddie and I tackle, you know, we as a band tackle it together. We always give it, you know, a thousand percent and try to, you know, maximize everything. So that's why that that like that Exorcist record became a classic. We're talking about that album. Oh yeah. Uh, you know, what, however many years it's it's been. You know, I did a, a major league interview just for that record. I guess last year it was. Uh, with with Sweden Rock or one one of these 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 big magazines in Europe, so yeah, people are still interested in that stuff. Will all come out again, and uh, you know it'll it'll all continue. And all, again, like you said, we haven't been idle. Each of the reissues that we did, you know, sometimes people think, oh, they're only doing this because they have no new material. We have tons of new material. It's not the case. We have to put these reissues out because. The records are not available anymore. Once you sign with a new label, whatever is out there in the shops or wherever is, is then gone once it's sold out. So if you want to stay current and have the new generation of people hear those records, you have to put them out again. And so and then putting them out again, we did go um, the extra mile and put tons of extra bonus tracks on those things. And there's a lot of new material on those records. So there's probably an album or an album and a half or two albums worth of new material on, on those bonus tracks. So we haven't really been you know, sitting around just uh, uh, drinking wine. We're actually getting some more time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's good. You know, you know, it always bothered me that like a band like Virgin Steel, I, I live right here. We're in the same state, probably an hour away from each other. And I can never catch you guys live anymore. It's almost impossible it's so rare these days and like uh, the Europeans always get you guys and I believe me I get it completely you know you come over here you might have to play on a Wednesday night in front of 30 people where you go over to Europe and you're going to play in front of massive crowds on great stages I completely get that but it's just it's, it kills me that like I have to travel overseas if I really want to see you guys perform live it's just it's so it just bothers me and it's not Virgin Steel's fault it just seems to be you know the music business and the scene and in general here in the U.S. It's well. It's yeah. You know, it's what it is, and you, you deal with it. But I think we in the in the in the months and years ahead, we will um, address that. And I would like to personally do more shows in this country, and so people like yourself can see us. And and I enjoy you know not having to necessarily get on an airplane and and, and be on the on, in the air for you know seven eight hours or to do a gig. You know, it'd be nice to just make, take a drive and do some shows within an hour's range or, or more or whatever and, uh, or, or do a coast-to-coast -to -coast tour, which would be really cool. You know, I just came yeah. back from California a few weeks ago and uh, uh, it's nice out there and it would be neat to get in, get in the car and go from New York uh, and hit every state along the way at some point. Sure, sure. You know, we uh. have to get back to that at some point and, and do that. At the moment, we're just kind of in this... this the studio frenzy because there is so much work done 
done already, and there's still, still more work that needs to be done. So we're we're just in that zone right now. Sure. I, I tell people I joke around. So yeah, we're in our Beatles phase. You know, when the Beatles stuff touring, they were just making records. <laughs> <laughs> we're in our Beatles phase right now, just because there's mm-hmm. so much stuff. And I I I, I kind of did it to myself. I wrote far too many things, and I and I actually sketched them all out and began recording them. And now that I've I've done that, I feel compelled to finish everything. I actually have the next two versions, epic style versions of records, ready to go besides what's happening in October. So it's, you know, we have not been idle. No, I know that. And I'm, I'm hoping you can string something together, at least here in, in the New York area. For years, you know, Manowar didn't play in the U.S. I, like almost two decades because they just felt their scene was overseas and they right. capitalized on it. And now all of a sudden, they see that, you know, there's a little bit of resurgence in heavy metal again. And now they're starting to play here in the U.S. and they're doing more and more shows now. I mean, it's, so it's great to catch it. I'm hoping that you guys can kind of make that. We I know will. you played at that festival a few years ago, I think up in Chicago. Yes. Uh, the Ragnarok, uh, I think it was called. And it would be yep. great if we get more of that going on here where you could play in front of those, you know, you know, those European-sized crowds here at a festival. I mean, if that's the way to go, that would be fantastic. We're not opposed to club shows either. You know, we, we dig that too. It's cool and intimate. No, no problem. Either one. It's all good. Yeah. Well, look, you and Eddie have been together for a long time writing and playing together. What is it about Eddie that you really enjoy working with him on? I mean, you know, is uh, it a style thing? Really, we've been friends for years. I knew him, you know, since before he was in Burden Steel. We've been playing together since we were like 15 years old, doing the Zeppelin jams and, you know, in basements and inviting all the neighborhood kids in and playing for them and that kind of thing. So, um, you know, we go go back a, a long, long way. And he's just, uh, he's really kind of like the perfect guy for me because he um, he doesn't have like a massive ego. He's very, very, very laid back and it's not, he's never, never, never tries to like push his own agenda. You know, he's very keen to like learn everything on the guitar that I play on the piano. Like when I've written a song, he tries to, you know, get every nuance of how it's laid out on the piano on the guitar. So it's really, for, for someone like me, it's it's really great. It's it's like a dream come true. I, I couldn't ask for a, you know, a better guy to... To, to, to work with. He's really, really great. And then when we get together and he comes in with, with, with bits and pieces and stuff and we start writing songs together, uh, we have a great chemistry. It's just really, really, really like his guitar and my voice, they just trail each other. And I, that's kind of why I wanted to put all those acoustic things on um, the uh, Fire Spirits, the, the bonus disc on, on Invictus. Because you can see in that stripped down state, you know, how how the voice and and uh, and the personalities and the guitar relate to each other and kind of just wrap around each other and lead each other on into di- different paths and that's what been happening for years it's, we always had great chemistry from day one from the time we met when I, I think I, I was auditioning my my band was auditioning for some junior high school uh, dance I guess it was at the time to play and we showed up there with our marshals and were doing a War Pigs by Black Sabbath, and that's the first glimpse that he saw of me, and it's then I saw of him. He was there on his bicycle. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> we have uh, been friends ever since, you know. That's cool. You know, I love the acoustic, like, when you go back, I go to the Book of Burning, A Crying Tonight, I love that acoustic version. When I heard that, I mean, I actually brought a tear in my eye. I'm like, this does not even oh, sound thanks, like the same thanks. song that they recorded originally. It was more of like, you know, a metal song. I was like, this sounds... Yeah. I, I mean, I, it's just, they hit that acoustic guitar and your vocals over it. It was just amazing. And I would love to, if you would go out there and just do it like an acoustic set somewhere. That we've would be done fantastic. It. Yeah, we've done oh. it. Like that's, uh, a lot of people don't know of these different sides of urgency. We've done that many times in Europe, in Italy, in Germany. Yeah, we've done it. We've done it. And uh, we've done it just, just you know, in, in, in New York, we've done it only in uh, just, just like private situations. But, but in Europe, we've done it 
on stage many times. Yeah, and I have wow. live, live shows that we've recorded and and whatnot. So yeah, yeah, we, I I would like to do a lot more of that and do that in the states because that's real simple. It's there's not a big uh, overhead with terms of all kinds of gear and drums and and whatnot. Uh, and the drummer could just could, could be part of it by being some small kit and, and whatever and, and hand drums and, and and whatever. But Eddie and I have done it ourselves. A couple of shows we did in Italy. The last ones we had Josh with us too, so we had we had two guitars and the vocal. Um, but yeah, I'd like to have the whole band at some point do it. Bring Frank in, do some percussion. It'll be, you know, it's, that's, yeah, that's another way for us to go for the for the coming years. Yeah, maybe maybe the next massive show that we do will we'll feature a segment of that. You know, we have the electric part and then the acoustic part, and let them duel it out. <laughs> that would be great. Hey, Dave, was there ever a time? I mean, thirty-five years you're talking about now, just with Virgin Steel. Was there ever a time where you thought about just throwing in the towel? And saying, you know, I can't yes. do this anymore. <laughs> it's not even once, it's all the time. Right? <laughs> no, no, I never really, I never really wanted to give up completely. I, you know, there have been times when you've been very despondent or whatever and you know, things happen, but I, I never wanted to get away from music. I always said to myself, well, you know, I, I, I reached a point where I could say, well, if I had never performed again on, an, on stage and if I had never uh, uh, put a record out that other people would necessarily hear, I would still make, make music for myself. I'd still be recording and and listening to stuff in my car and whatnot, and that's because that's just how I function. It's it's a way of documenting my life and getting out all the things, all the demons that are inside me have to come out in some shape or form. And this is what I do, you know. This is really why I do it. We, we never. Eddie's the same way. He's we're not out to become, you know, um, Lady Gaga, the biggest thing on the planet, or anything like that. It was never our interest. It's really just about the music, making records that we personally want to listen to. You know, the way we listen to Led Zeppelin or anything else that we listen to. I mean, that's why we do it, is to make the music that we want to hear. Yeah, that's what it's all about. I mean, if you're not going to make yourself happy, how can you make the fans, the people listening to the music happy if you're not happy with what you're doing? Exactly. Yeah. So at the end of every record, I, you know, I try to say, yeah, do I like this or do I not like it? And if I don't like it, then I try to say, well, it's, it shouldn't go out. You know? And when I, when I do feel really good about it, and I think, well, okay, great, then if I know I like it, so somebody else out there might like it as well. And that's, that's what right. I felt with these, uh, with these reissues. I felt you know, pretty, pretty good. As, you know, I'm always agonizing at the end of the 11th hour. Oh, no, I've got to do something else again. I can't go out. You wait. I need another month, another week, another hour. But uh, you know, I felt reasonably pretty good about everything, especially the Fire Spears thing and, uh, and whatever I had done with the uh, the remastering, especially on the, the Marriage uh, 1 record. That was a really difficult record to remaster, actually, because they had these different source tapes for where it came from, and I, it was just, just uh, that was, uh, I won't go into it, but it was, it was but yeah, I went back and forth. If you looked at my, uh, in the studio, you'd see like a thousand versions of Blood and Gasoline, how many ones different ones I did. <laughs> <laughs> Insane. Some of the tracks, but it all came together at the end of the day. It's out there, and, and so far the response has been very good to it. And uh, uh, my big fear was that I didn't want to ruin the record. You know, make, you know, I want to make it better than it was. You know, not worse. You know, so that's the thing with sure. remastering. And sometimes you got to just say, okay, stop. I can't make this any better. It is what it is. Fine, that's it. We have to go re-record it from scratch if it's going to be any better. You know. And yeah. You have to know on the call of the day. Dave, do you think yeah, today yeah. things are better today musically or as a musician, whether it's business-wise or just the environment in general, than it was you know, when you first started in the 80s? Back then, record companies were king. You wanted to get signed to a label. You kind of wanted them to, like, you know, to be the breadbasket and the money bag for everybody. But do you like it better now or do you prefer the system you know, from 30 years ago? 
I like the old system for certain aspects, and I like certain aspects of what's happening today. What I don't like about today is the constant barrage of, uh, uh, you know, we just once you put something out there, it's out there. It's like, and it's it's not necessarily paid for, you know, it's just out no, there. No, I know. And uh, that's kind of a problem, you know. That's that's it. It definitely diminishes the. Um, I think it diminishes the experience for people, and it makes it makes. Uh, it makes things less valuable in a way, you know. It was, it was I liked the old days where oh, you really got to search for that record, and when you found, you were like, That's "Oh, right. this is gold! I got this! Wow, incredible!" Now it's just like eh, people are like, eh, "So what?" You know, that kind of a thing. And that kind of uh, it's a little sad in a way, I think. But yeah, there are aspects of, of today that are better that, that are happening too. And but if I had my uh, my way, I'd I'd like the uh, um, would I bring back the uh, the old system? I don't, I don't know. I I would just. Uh, just carry on. I, I'm in a good space now, so whatever, wherever I it took, whatever battles I went through to get here, I'm here, and and that's all I can say is I'm here now and I'm enjoying it. So uh, that's yeah. what it is. Yeah, I, I know what you're saying. You know, I feel like you know, change is inevitable. It's going to happen all the time. But I think a lot of the mystery and a lot of the excitement is gone from the old days because, like you said, you have to go search for those albums in the record store. We bought albums based on album covers because there was no magazines writing about Virgin Steel. Right. You saw that album because, oh, look at that cover, and you ran home, and you put it on, and you played the album through and through. You didn't know what the band looked like, so you couldn't wait for them to come to your town to play to see them up on stage. Today, right. it's like before the album comes out, you've heard every song. You know everything that's on there. You know what the band looks yeah. like, too. You know how they, how they perform live. That mystery is gone, and that's it's sad because that's what made it all exciting it was it was i think yeah i think people are, they don't know that they're missing out on that but they are missing out on that whole thing the whole mystery of the thing exactly as you say the the, the theater of it the excitement so it's like a religion you know and uh you can only you know can only get that when you when you went to the church the church might be a national coliseum or it might be a yeah. local concert club you know whatever it was you know but that's and then you're you're holding communion with you know with your religion in that environment and that's great and that's what, what like you know I, I brings up and up a lot today but uh you know they never released uh they wanted they never wanted to release singles and things like that and th- their whole experience was if you wanted to experience the zeppelin you had to go there you had to be there you know and i think that's, that's right. why that band is still uh is still revered today because that mystique still remains and we've you know those are the lessons that we learned Growing up, Eddie and I, and uh, you know, we 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 still adhere to that philosophy. So you're not going to see us overexposed here and there and whatnot. So I, there are probably a lot of people, some people who might you know, even work for our label, who want us to be more exposed. But but there's <laughs> a certain you know, there's a certain stand, not it's not standoffish. It's, it's a certain. I just I find it more more. I enjoy it more when people come to me and say, "Wow, you know, where has this been?" You know, I, I, I just, I, never, I don't, I don't know how I missed you guys, and I just discovered that. Well, that's great. You know, I feel the same way about a certain movie that I stumble upon or, or a band I stumble upon. Where was this ten? Oh, wow, where was I ten years ago? I missed this. Oh, this is great. I'm glad I have it now. You know, I think it's cool that way. I have to agree. Hey, David, I'm not going to keep you much longer. I appreciate you talking with me today. And when My the new pleasure, material Mike. comes out, please come back on. We'll promote it. We'll play it. Whatever you want to do. Killer. Thanks a million, man. You I appreciate it, it. You take care, buddy. Thank you very much. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. All right, I want to thank all my guests today, Bobby Blitz from Overkill, David DeFeast from Virgin Steel. I want to thank Eamon and Eddie for hanging out in the chat, like always, and guitar player and author extraordinaire Gerard DiMarini. We had a great interview last week, and the, over the 400-something interviews we've done on the show, T, that was one of my favorite. I'm looking forward to round two in a few months uh, when he has that new book out, you know? 
All right, well, we'll see everybody this Thursday for the Metal Matinee at 12 o'clock. Don't forget to tune in next Sunday at 6 p.m. with Sparta, the new wave of British heavy metal band, all our guests. And uh, how about we wrap it up here today with some Virgin Steel. This is off the remastered version of The Marriage of Heaven and Hell, his Symphony of Steel. Take care, everybody. I'll see you next week. Take Good care, night, T. Good night.
Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day, lo. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BDW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.